Thank you for joining me today. I hope you're going to be as excited about this lesson as I am because God's promises accurate to the very day. And, you know, I could have named it this. I could have said it's God's uh, prophecies. I could have said it's God's word. I could have said it's God's plan. Because, you see, God fulfills his word and his promises in a very remarkable way. We make a lot of promises, and, and we sometimes we can't fulfill them because something may be out of our control. But God is in control, and he can fulfill them. And so when we say this concerning God's promises accurate to the very day, it shows his power, it shows his control, it shows how precise he is. I think of Psalm 19.1. It's a, a marvelous psalm. It talks about the heavens declare the glory of God. And so God has such control that he is able to even take the orbit of the, of the stars, of the planets in our little galaxy and, and of the universe. Can you imagine trying to figure out the, the mathematics and the scientific uh, rotation of all these planets, all these galaxies. I mean, this is marvelous. This is this is the work of God. And then when he makes these promises, well, he's accurate to the very day. You see, you think about uh, being perfect to, to do these orbits and, and think about how precise you've got to be in terms of the tides or the sunrise or the sunsets. I mean, day after day, he's very precise. He's not only specific, but he's he's good. And the reason he's good is because he's God. He's perfect. And so we're going to look at some of these promises and, and uh, accurate to the very day. And I think by the time we're done, you'll see how come we as Christians can be excited about the promises of God and how come every person watching today would want to have someone like God make promises to them. Here's one of the verses that, that show this. It's in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 19. And, and this is one of my all-time favorite verses because it talks directly about the power of God and the plan of God. It says this, we have also a more sure word of prophecy. Now, notice a, a sure word. You see, the, the predictions of men are not very good. Jean Dixon, matter of fact, she was only right 5% of the time. She made a living making predictions, and she was only right 5% of the time. You know what the Bible said about a prophet who was, who was predicting the future? If they were wrong one time, they were stoned. They were killed. And so I don't want to be a prophet. Now, I study prophecy, and, and so from time to time, someone will say, you're a prophet. No, 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 I'm not a prophet, because you see, I don't make predictions of my own. I want to try to understand the promises, the prophecies of God. And so he said, we have a more sure word of prophecy. You do well to take heed, as unto a light that shines in a dark place. You know what? This world is a pretty dark place right now. And then it says, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. I think that day star is none other than Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 22. Let me just read this, this wonderful passage to you. It says this, I, Jesus, have sent mine angel to testify unto you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David. I am the bright and the morning star. And so he says, when I arise, in other words, when Christ sets up his kingdom, all these things will be fulfilled right to the very precise a detail. Now, in God's Word, there's over 8,000 promises in the Bible, and God keeps them, and He keeps them to the very day. And so, the Bible goes on to say, these are not by the will or the plan of man, but holy men of God, prophets of God, they were, they were inspired by God. That's why the Bible is God-breathed. It's God-inspired. It's, it's not man telling the story. It's God telling man what's going to take place. So it's directed by God. God is a, a marvelous God, and the Bible is a marvelous book 
Matter of fact, you know that in his word, in the Bible, there's 100 predictions concerning his first coming, and every single one of them came true exactly as God predicted them. And at his second coming, there's over twice as many. And by the time God is done, he will fulfill every one of those exactly as he says in the Bible. You see, if God does not fulfill his second coming promises, just as he did his first coming, well, God would be a liar. Huh. You can relax. God is all-powerful. God is all-wonderful. God is right and keeps his promises to the very day. And he'll fulfill every one of them. And so as we begin to look at some of these promises, let's just begin with, with some to, to Abraham. And all the way back in Genesis chapter 12, it's not the first promise in the Bible, but, but it's one of the early promises in the Bible. And it's a, a marvelous one. And the reason I say that is because he talks to Abraham. And in chapter 12, it says it this way. Now the Lord said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee, and I will make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curses thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Three promises that God makes. Number one, he said, Abram, I'm going to give you a land. And you know what? He did. God fulfilled his promise to Abraham. He gave him a land. Number two, he said, I'm going to make you a nation. And he has. And he's continuing to draw that nation, the nation of Israel. And then he said, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations. And God is doing that, and he'll continue to do that, in spite of the fact that right now the world is at an all-time hatred toward Israel and toward God's plan. And why do they hate Israel? I think it's because they hate the God of the Jew. Not just God, but, but the God of the Jew as well. And so Israel, as God's earthly people, and the church as God's heavenly people, they have promises that God has made. There's promises to Abraham, but there's also promises for Jerusalem. And you know what? We've looked at some of these in, in our studies. Here's what the Bible says in Psalm 132. For God hath chosen Zion, he hath desired it for his habitation. This is my rest forever. Here will I dwell, for I have desired it. He also says this. Blessed be the Lord out of Zion, which dwelled at Jerusalem. Praise ye the Lord. You see, these are promises of God for Jerusalem. And God said, I'm going to dwell there. It's going to be my city. And God has promises for Abraham. He has them for, for Jerusalem. Now, keeping that in mind, I want you to, to go with me now to one of the incredible studies in the Bible. Because, you see, concerning Israel, the Bible talks about three great predictions concerning the captivities of Israel. And the first one of these is actually found in Genesis chapter 15, just a few chapters over from where we were reading a minute ago. What a story. Because here's what the Bible says. The Bible says that when Abraham is visiting with God in chapter 15, he says, you know, God, I, I left my father's house. I've been traveling for 30 years. And, and after 30 years, you keep saying, I'm going to have a, a large family. I don't even have a son. And you're going to give me a land. And, and I'm, still, I'm still a sojourner. And so God gives to Abraham an incredible lesson. It's called, it's called the blood trail. And God makes a promise to Abraham, and he does it in a very special way. He does it by having Abraham take some animals, dig a trench, put these animals on each side of the trench so the blood flowed into that trench. And, and what they would do in those days to seal a covenant, two people would take those animals, put them so that the blood drained down into this little ditch, and then you would walk down the ditch, and here's what you would say. If I don't fulfill my promise to you, then let the blood of these animals on my shoes and on my feet and on my clothes, may my blood also be shed. 
and and just about the time that that Abraham sets up this trough and drains these animals by at God's prescription and puts the blood there Abraham suddenly goes to sleep and God alone walks the blood trail in other words the promise that, that God made to Abraham was not dependent upon Abraham Abraham never walked it you see in those days with no lawyers this is how they made a, a, a blood covenant but God makes the blood covenant. In other words, this covenant did not depend on the faithfulness of Abraham. It depended on the faithfulness of God. And so here's what he says in chapter 15, verse 13. He says, Abraham, he said, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a, a stranger in a land that is not theirs and shall serve them and shall afflict them 400 more years. That was the promise of God. Now, think about all that took place. Because you see, 30 years he left his family, then God makes this promise, 185 years he's with the Canaanites, 250 more years he's going to be with Egypt, so that when you add all those together, 430 years, and now we want to take a look at an incredible picture, and this is one that brings us to Exodus chapter 12. Now you know the story, the most, the most unfamiliar person with the Bible would at least hear the story of the Passover, because on that Passover night, after these ten plagues came, each one of the plagues actually symbolizing one of the gods of Egypt. And every time God showed he was more powerful than all the gods of Egypt, he said, this time they'll believe me. And remember, they slaughtered the Passover lamb. They applied the blood to the door. And so when they're walking out, Exodus chapter 12, verse 40 says, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the very same day it came to pass that all the host of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. Is the night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt? This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel and their generations. He said, never forget it. Because he said, you see, I promised you 30 years into your journey that in 400 years you would be captive and I would lead you out. And to the day... Exactly 430 years, God led them out of Egypt exactly as God said. That was the first captivity. Now there's going to be three. But the first one, we can trace it in the Bible. You know the story. And you know what? It was fulfilled to the very day. God's promises to Israel, they, well, they, they were exact. You, you couldn't be more exact than being exact to the day in 430 years. Here's the second one. It's also very famous, and many of you be familiar with it. But the second captivity is actually to Babylon. This time it's for only 70 years. And really the story takes place in the, in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah the prophet as he writes. Now remember a prophet. He had a message from God. And he would deliver it to the people. And we're going to see a little later that some prophets, they, they actually had a drama from God. and They, they delivered a, a dramatic action. But in Jeremiah chapter 25... Here's what it says. And this whole land should be a, a desolation and an horror. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. He talks about how that he would even use Babylon and Nebuchadnezzar as his servant. Why? To discipline Israel. And so when the first deportation of the Jews go into Babylon, Jeremiah is left back in the land. And what is interesting is that it's repeated in Jeremiah. We know that it's 70 years. Verse 29 says, I will bring uh, evil upon the city which is called by my name and shall be utterly unpunished. 
and you shall be un, not un, you shall not be unpunished, for I will call the sword upon all the inhabitants of the earth, say the Lord of hosts. He said, I'm going to make this a testimony so that all the world will know. And so here are the Jews captive in Babylon. And remember, among those that went into captivity was Daniel. And Daniel was faithful to God. And what a story it is when we come to Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. Because remember, at that time, the king that originally knew Daniel, Nebuchadnezzar, well, he's out of power. And really his grandson, Belshazzar, is in power. And Belshazzar decides to, to throw a, a great party. And when he does, he's using the vessels from the house of God, from the temple of God, almost in mockery. And at that great party, handwriting comes on the wall. It's the handwriting of God. And God tells to, to Belshazzar, he says this, he says, you know what, your kingdom is found wanting. But, but Belshazzar couldn't read the writing. No one could. They called in the wise men. They couldn't. And Belshazzar was so upset. And, and finally his grandmother hears about it and said, well, there's a Hebrew in, in the kingdom and he can read mysteries. He can, he can interpret these things. And so they go wake up Daniel, probably in his 80s. And Daniel comes to the party. And Belshazzar, remember, he promises great things. He said, listen, if you'll do this, you'll be the third root of the kingdom. I'll, I'll give you a, a big necklace. I'll, I'll make you a, a special person. And Daniel says, no. Now listen, that's important. Daniel says, no, I don't want to be, because he said, I can read the writing, and the writing says this, that this kingdom, Babylon's kingdom, is found wanting. It's weighed in the balances, and God's going to strip it from you. And he even says the Medes and the Persians are going to take it. You know what? History records the night that Belshazzar threw his party, and that Daniel declined the kingdom, and it was made part of the official royal record, spared Daniel's life, no doubt about it. That even as the party was going on, the Medes and the Persians had diverted the Euphrates River. They were crawling down the riverbed, under the wall, into the palace. In a few hours, they would spring up, and Babylon would be defeated, and Daniel would be saved. You want to know why? Because he knew that God said, I'll only have you there 70 years. And God delivered him. I mean, listen to this, Daniel chapter 5, verse 30. In that night was Belshazzar the king slain. To the day. God's promises are good to the day. Wow, what a God. Listen, if you don't have a, a God like that, then, then you don't have a God. My, my God's promises are many, and they're good. They're perfect because God is perfect, and God's word is precise. And so those are the first two captivities. Remember I told you that there were three. Now we come to one that's not near as familiar. But let me tell you, when you see this, you will never be able to doubt the Bible again. When you see this, you, you'll, never, you'll never think, my God is not an all-sufficient, all-wonderful God. This is the third captivity. It's a worldwide one. Remember, the first one was to Egypt for 430 years. The second one to Babylon for 70 years. This is a worldwide one for 2,520 years. How do you get to that number? Well, let's begin in Ezekiel chapter 36. We've been to Ezekiel a number of times in our, in our studies. And so we'll go back to there again today. And it's an exciting little set of verses there because here's what it says in chapter 36. God, through the prophet Ezekiel, says, For I will take you from among the nations, notice that, the, the, the whole world, gather you out of all countries, I will bring you into your own land. A little later, in verse 35, he says, And they say, This land that was destined to become like the Garden of Eden, the waste, the desert, the ruined cities have become fortified and are inhabited. Wow. Listen, listen to this. God promised 
the prophet Ezekiel that there would be a time that he would take Israel, he would scatter them. And then there would be a time that he would bring them back again. And when he brought them back, they would not only come right back to the same land, but they would come back to their same language. They'd come back in the wasteland, the deserts would become like the Garden of Eden. And cities that would be destroyed, the Bible predicts 10 of them, and all 10 have been rebuilt today. He says, you'll know because all 10 of those will be rebuilt. Now think about God making this kind of prediction. He says, I will take you out. I'll bring you back. And we're going to see how precise his timing is. Let me, let me tell you this. That when God saw the Romans scatter the Jews in 70 AD after the destruction of the temple, and everybody thought that Israel was done and for, and everyone thought that, that God had forsaken Israel. No. You want to know why? Because God made a promise. The promise was that third captivity. And so let's take a look at it. And, and we're going to have to begin our, our study today with this particular third uh, captivity in Ezekiel chapter 4. Now, I hope you have your Bible, and I hope you can turn to it, because, wow, what, what takes place here is just so interesting to me, and I hope to you. And, and so listen to, to just a little bit of the story. He goes to the prophet Ezekiel. And in verses 1 through 6, he talks to them about lying on his side. Now, now this is unusual, because you see, a prophet, they convey usually a spoken message. But here, in Ezekiel chapter 4 through 8, he's going to tell Ezekiel not just a spoken message, but he's going to have him do dramas, four dramas. We're, we're only going to look at two today. But here's the first one. He says, all right, I want you to, to take a tile, a brick, and I want you to lay it before you. I want you to portray it as a city and, and build a fort around it. And then I want you to put a, an iron plate or pan in verse 3. And then you sit there and have the iron plate between you and the, and the brick. Now, I think that the brick tile was, was really the, the city. Matter of fact, it had an outline. God told him to put an outline of the city on it. And I think Babylon is that iron plate or that wall. And the prophet, he represented God. Here's the lesson. Jerusalem, you're going to be cut off from God by Babylon. I mean, he did this, and, and wait until you see the, the next detail of it. It's can you imagine a man, a prophet, a minister of God going out on the street doing this kind of a, a, a situation? Now, the next part is even more unusual. The second vision, in verses 4 through 8, here's what happens. He says, I want you to do this on your left side for 390 days. That's over a year. I don't think he was there all night and all day and all night, maybe for several hours a day. I, I don't know. The Bible doesn't say. But I know this, that for over a year, 390 days, the prophet must have gone somewhere in the public arena, laid there on the ground on his left side. And then when he's done, you might say, wow, I'm glad that's done. Well, guess what? The, the Bible says this, that now he's going to lay on his right side for 40 days. And God says, 390 days for the house of Israel. See, there was a divided nation of Israel. It was in, in two pieces, in Judah and then the rest of Israel. And it would be with an uncovered arm. In other words, God would not be there to protect it. And so altogether, 390 days and then 40 more days. And then verse 5 of this chapter says, For I have laid upon thee the years of their iniquity according to the number of days, 390 days, so thou shalt bear the iniquity of the house of Israel. In other words, Every day represented a year. Here's what the Bible was saying. He said, I'm going to have captivity for
for a total of 390 days plus 40 more days are 430 years. Wow, that's quite a prediction, isn't it? Now the other two dramas that he acted out, one has to do with limited and polluted food in chapter 4, and one has to do with shaved head and shaving your beard. We're not going to be able to look at those today. Maybe another time we will. They're incredible prophecies. But let's continue with this. Because God said the total degree against Israel, future punishment is going to be 430 years. And 70 of those years we know occurred when they were in Babylon. So if we take the 430 years and we subtract the 70 years in Babylon, we have 360 years remaining. And we know that that captivity ended in 536 BC. So we know the starting point of that. Now, I know you're saying, wow, you know, this looks like we're going to get into some math. Yeah, you're right. You, you know I like math. And, and you know that I, I think it kind of confirms the, the plan and the power of God. So bear with me for a little bit. So what occurred in those 360 years? Well, first of all, 95% of the Jewish people did not return to Israel as God had hoped they would. And the 5% who did return, well, they had very little faith and most of them no true repentance. It was kind of a sad time. And 42,360 Jews returned. And, and while most of them did not, these are the Jews that are actually talked about in the books of Ezariah and Nehemiah. Incredible stories as they built first the temple of God and then they built the wall around Jerusalem. But for the most part, 95%, they didn't come back. And so they were happy in Babylon. They were happy in Persia. They didn't repent of, of why God disciplined them the first time. Guess what God had in mind for them? Now we want to go to another passage. Leviticus chapter 26. Bear with me. I, I know there's details in this, and, and, and I, I, I know where we're heading. And so I hope you'll be patient with me. Because sometimes in order to get to where you want to enjoy it, well, you've got to do a little bit of preparation. So this is some of the preparation. Ezekiel, uh, sorry, Leviticus chapter 26, verse 18. Here's what it says. And if you will not yet, for all this hearken unto me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. Now, sometimes this is called the law of sevens. So he says, if, if you don't hearken to me, if I said I'm going to punish you, and you still don't respond... I'm going to punish you seven times more for your sins. Okay? Notice, if you will, another passage. Verse 21. Same chapter. And if you walk contrary to me and will not hearken to me, I will punish you seven times more plagues upon you than this according to your sins. And verse 24. He says, If you walk contrary to me, I will punish you yet seven times more for your sins. And again, in, in verse 28. Then, I, then if you walk contrary... I will punish you, chastise you, seven times more for your sins. That's why it's called the law of sevens. He said, look, you didn't respond. So instead of just giving you one dose, I'm going to multiply it by seven. Now maybe you say, how in the world can you use this passage with what we just read and, and uh, these, these predictions by the prophet Ezekiel? I was hoping you'd ask that. Because here's an amazing chart. Matter of fact, this chart is so incredible. I didn't do it myself, but I, I read it from somebody. I, I think it has a, a, an element of important truth. And what it does, it shows a comparison between Ezekiel 4 through 6 and Leviticus 26, and it's a one-to-one -one correspondence. In other words, this law of seven applies to Ezekiel. I wonder if the prophet Ezekiel wasn't even thinking and reading from Leviticus when he, when he spoke these uh, dramatic actions that God told him to do. 
And so we put that as part of the notes that you can download. But let's use the application of it, and now you're really going to be thrilled. Because let's take the 360 years of exile. And remember, they're going to be punished seven times for their iniquities, seven times more. So let's multiply 360 years by seven, and we get 2,520. Now, these would be the biblical years of additional exile for the Jews. Now, let's stop here just for a minute, because you see a prophetic year. That's, we call it a biblical year, a prophetic year. It's 360 days. We're used to 365 and a quarter days, because that's our, our modern calendar, known as a solar year. But we've run into this 360-day uh, year before. Matter of fact, we talked about it one time in Genesis chapter 7. and Genesis chapter 8, it talked about five months was exactly 150 days, so it's 30 days per month. Or how about this one? Sir Isaac Newton, one of my favorite scientists, you know what he did? He concluded that the ancient biblical year of the Hebrews and Babylonians and Egyptians were all 360 days. Encyclopedia Britannica talks about it. All nations reckon 30 days for the, for the lunar month. And so he even used that as a justification for 360 degrees in the elliptical or in the circle. We've, we've seen it in Revelation chapter 11 concerning the, the two false witnesses. We've seen it in chapter 12 concerning the, the fall of Lucifer out of, out of heaven. And so the prophetic year of 360 days is quite well known. Matter of fact, do you remember just a week or so ago when we were looking at the prediction of the tribulation? And we calculated the number of days from the beginning to build the house of God all the way until Jesus rode through Jerusalem on the colt of full of an ass. And we found out that it was 173,880 days. And exactly to the day Jesus rode into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday. You talk about to the day. Listen, my friend, if you don't have a God that's right to the day, if you don't have a God that's in control, that can make promises like this and fulfill them, then you don't really have a God. And so now, let's go back to our, our calculation. Because I'm going to take this 2,520 years. Let's multiply 360 days per year. And this gives us 907,220 prophetic days. Some of you non-math people, don't you dare turn me out right now. Bear with me just a couple seconds longer and you're going to see how important this is. Because I'm going to take that number of days. That would be the number of days. I'm going to divide that number of days by our solar year. And when I do, we get a number of 2483.78. And when I add that to when the captivity of, of Babylon ended, we end up with 1947.4. But remember, between 1 AD and 1 BC, that's really only one year. So really, when we calculate 1947.4, it's 1948.4. Do you know anything that occurred in 1948.4? Yeah. May of 1948, Israel became a nation. And God regathered all the Jews from all over the world right back into the land of Israel. Listen, I don't know about you, that's an incredible prediction. The first captivity was into Egypt for 430 years, and God was right to the day. The next one was in Babylon for 70 years. God was right to the day. And then he said, I'm going I'm to scatter them. I'm going to bring them back. And right to the day, God brought them back, and he brought them back not just into the land of Israel, but he brought them back as the nation of Israel. Listen, my friend, that's God's promises. Wow. I'm so glad that I have a God that made a promise to me. He promised to me eternal life. If I would accept his son, Jesus Christ, as the payment for my sin. You see, I, I couldn't improve myself. I would never be good enough. 
Matter of fact, this week I had someone say, you know, I've been watching your, your programs and man, it's, it's made me want to go back to church. And the first time it felt pretty good. And I thought, wow, I, I didn't convey the, the message right. I'm not trying to make you better. I'm not trying to get you to go back to church. I'm not against being good. I'm not against going back to church. But my message is this. I want you to have a person. That person is Jesus Christ. It's not about being better. It's not about going to church. It's about do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is the God of the Bible. When Jesus came and died, he was the God of the Bible. And so here is God. And right on schedule, I mean right to the day, these things are coming true. May 14th. 1940, against insurmountable odds, Israel became a nation. And the world was stunned. Here's the, here's the headlines of the Palestinian Post. The state of Israel is born. And even the people around the world were shocked when, when the United Nations finally agreed to accept Israel as a nation. And we watched God fulfill His promise in spite of all the, of all the, the people that were against Israel. God worked it out to the very day. And so this year, Israel celebrated 72 years of independence in 2020. And wow, you know what? You think the world would celebrate with them? No, no. Guess what? Here are the headlines. Global reaction. As Trump declares uh, that Jerusalem is Israel's capital, the, the whole world's mad. The status of Israel goes to the heart of Israel conflict with the Palestinians. Not just the Palestinians and, and, and the nations, but look at this. Here's the Pope. And here's the king of Morocco, a Muslim. And they declare that Jerusalem should never belong solely to the Jews. That's not what God said. Or how about this one? Yasser Arafat, some of you know, wow, th this guy's quite a, quite a case. And he said, whoever does not accept the fact that Jerusalem will be the capital of the Palestinian state and only that state can go drink from the Dead Sea. Yeah, you want to know? He said they could die. But let me tell you that God had a different plan because God says, I own Jerusalem. I'll fulfill my promise to, to Israel. And he did to the very day. Or this man happens to be the head of the Temple Mount. He said there's not the smallest indication of the existence of a Jewish temple on this place in the past. In the whole city, that's the whole city of Jerusalem, there's not even a single stone indicating Jewish history. How wrong can you be? Because God spoke differently. Or how about this one? This man, this, this senior Palestinian official, he said that for the United States to say that Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It's unacceptable. He said it's absolutely unacceptable. It doesn't change my opinion. It doesn't change God's opinion. It doesn't change the fact. Or this is one of my favorite ones. Here's Russia. They say, you know what? We need an honest mediator between Israel and the Palestinians to, to, to decide the issue of peace and of Jerusalem. They say the issue of Jerusalem is the most sensitive issue in the Israeli-Palestinian peace process and Russia, can you imagine Russia saying, we want to be the, the mediator? Folks, the Bible said that Russia would side against Israel in the coming day. And we're watching it. Matter of fact, while we're so concerned with all the events of COVID and, and civil rights in our country, look at the stride that Russia and Syria are making on the borders of Israel, exactly as the Bible said. And then the Bible even says this, that in the coming day, the Antichrist will want Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 11, he kills the two witnesses in Jerusalem. Revelation chapter 13, he, it's a beast, a beast that, that comes, a second beast will come, and this beast with these heads, huh, they represent the Antichrist, he'll come, he'll want to devour Israel so that he can have Jerusalem. You see, these things are all taking place. And as I look at them, you know what I say? Wow, aren't you glad that God's not one day late? 
If he could fulfill all three of those captivities and bring Israel back to the very day, then that's the kind of God that I want. It says this, that he must be very powerful. It says this, he must have an incredible plan. It says this, that he must be in control. And so as I come to you today, I want to know this. Do you have a God that's that powerful, that that's wonderful, that, that he can control all those things? I wouldn't have any other God. You see, I really believe that we're in the, at the end of the church age. I really think that at any time Christ could come. I think there's a, an incredible plan that's revealed by God's word. It has to do with this. The week of creation, there were six days and then a day of rest. And I think we're looking at 6,000 years in human history from Adam until now. And there's going to be a thousand years called the Millennial Kingdom. And so I'm looking for the Lord to come because I think that, that millennium of rest is getting ready to come. And so here's what I would like to, to talk to you about today. Do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? You see, Romans chapter 5 says this, that our sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus' death abolished my sin. It's incredible. I could never be good enough. I could, never, I could never pay for my own sin. When I was born in Adam's race, I had Adam's blood. I have blood of the first Adam going through my veins. You do too. <clears throat> now the last Adam is Jesus Christ. And by the blood of the last Adam, he's washed away my sins. He's washed away your sins if you will accept him. Relationship. You see, I mentioned to you earlier, I'm not trying to, to make you a better person. I'm not trying to get you to join a church. I'm trying to get you to receive Jesus Christ. Sometimes when I talk to people, and they say, you know, I, I, I would like to go to heaven. Matter of fact, I, to be honest, I don't meet very many people that don't want to go to heaven. And so let me give you this little illustration. It's one of my favorite ones. But let's just say that I had a ticket here called Eternal Life. And if you had this ticket, well, you could go to heaven. But here's what the Bible says. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 10 through 12, he that believes on the Son of God hath a witness on himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believed not the record that God gave of his Son. Who wouldn't believe God if God can fulfill things to the day? This is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God hath not life. He that has the Son has life. He said, he put life, he put eternal life. Here it is, the ticket to heaven. He put eternal life into Jesus Christ. And so if you want the ticket to heaven, if you want salvation, then you've got to have the ticket. And guess what? The ticket's only in Jesus Christ. You never get the ticket without Jesus. And so the only way to get to heaven, the only way to be saved, the only way to be born again, is you've got to receive Jesus Christ. You see, salvation is not so much just a ticket to heaven. Salvation is a relationship with the person of Jesus Christ. He loved you so much, he, he died on the cross for your sins. It's a gift. It, it has nothing to do with, with something you can earn. That's why you can't be good enough. You could never be good enough because you were born wrong. You were born in Adam's race and you've got to be born again and your sins have got to be abolished by the finished work of Jesus Christ. When Jesus died, he had no sin of his own. So he died for my sin. He died for your sins. And God said, I will forgive your sins 
if you will take my son, Jesus Christ, and receive him as your Savior. Have that relationship with Jesus Christ. My friend, there's a wonderful God who has promises. He promised to Abraham, he fulfilled him. He promised to Israel, he fulfilled him. And he's promised to me, to you, eternal life. If we will receive his son, what a God. Would you accept God's promise for you? Would you receive it? It's a gift, but you have to receive it. I hope today you'll receive Christ as your Savior. I hope today if you know Christ that you'll say, wow, what a God I have. I can trust his promises. He's accurate to the day. What a God. Do you have that God as your God? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? If not, would you receive him right now? Father God, we come to you. We thank you for the word of God. It's so accurate. It's so precise. It's so exact. And Father, we thank you for salvation. It's so complete. Father, we don't want the religion of the world that says do, do, do. We want salvation offered by God. And his son on the cross said, it's done. It's finished. Father, I pray today that there will be some who will say, I want Jesus as my Savior. Father, we thank you for all that's taking place that points to the fact that you're coming soon. And Father, we pray that we'll be ready so that we can hear you say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you would like to ask a question of Dr. Linstead and or Bible Truth and Prophecy, please email us at the Bible Truth and Prophecy, or BTIP as we call it, email address. That's BibleTipNow at gmail.com. B-I-B-L-E-T-I-P-N-O-W at gmail.com. We look forward to hearing from you. Oh,